Will you pray with me? Father, you know our hearts, and we pray that now as we come to look at your word, that your spirit would change our hearts, that you would encourage us, challenge us, and bring us more to seek the praise that is from you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's feedback season here at college. We're asking for feedback from you, from our classes. You're processing feedback from us uh, from Term 1. Right now, we're giving you more feedback, and I know some of you are even asking for more feedback on the feedback to process the feedback. And that's because, of course, feedback is important. It can be painful, but feedback is necessary to orient us to what matters to help us to change and to grow. We all need it. We need negative feedback and we need positive feedback. We need criticism and commendation. We need evaluation and praise. And that's not just true for college or preparation for ministry. It's actually true for all ministry, isn't it? In your ministry life, it's important that you seek feedback, that you learn how to be discerning and to process that feedback well. So you can reinforce what you're doing well and change what you're not doing well and grow and adapt and love and service of others for the sake of the Lord. But of course we need to make sure that we're discerning about whatever criticism or praise that we receive. The most memorable piece of praise I've ever received after a sermon happened uh, on a Moore College mission uh, back in 2000. And four, I believe, it was in Campbelltown. I preached in an aged care chapel and I was shaking hands with people filing out of the door and a lovely uh, lady took my hand. She looked me in the eyes and she said, you have nice teeth. (laughs) And then she walked on. (laughs) It was a lovely compliment and I appreciate her praise of me. uh, And yet, in the end, the value of that praise has a limit, especially as I'm getting older and I'm losing my teeth. There's one that's gone now and it'll keep going. We need to be discerning about praise. And we need to be discerning about where we look for praise because praise is powerful. We need to be praised. We need to be respected. We need to be thought well of. We are human beings. Praise from parents, that's powerful, isn't it? If your parents didn't praise you much, that's probably made a lasting impact on you. If you are a parent, make sure you praise your kids often and especially uh, as they do things uh, that you can point out that are praiseworthy. Do that deliberately and specifically. More generally, praise is powerful. Praise reaches deep into our hearts and it changes us. That's why we need to look for praise in the right place. And our passage today is just two verses, Romans 2, verses 28 to 29, and it's about receiving praise in ministry. More precisely, this passage is about two different kinds of Jewish ministry that look for praise in two different places. And this passage is highly relevant to our own ministries and teaches us where to look for praise. Now, this morning I'm going to use my own translation. I often, don't often do that. Uh, But in this case, I think it's the clearest way to communicate. If this was a regular church situation, I'd have to make sure I wasn't undermining people's confidence in their own translations. But today I'm preaching to you, 
I know that you understand the value of doing Greek, so let's just get into it. Now, the problem is that this passage is a bit hard, quite hard, uh, to translate. It's a bit complex. And most translations do feel they need to add extra words. Here's the ESV up here on the screen. In blue are the words that the translators have added to make it make sense. And you'll see that in lots of translations. Uh, Why do they add those particular words? Because the translators are assuming that Paul is here trying to come up with a new definition of Jew, a new definition of circumcision. But I've looked at the passage in quite a bit of detail and I just don't think that's what it's about. Here's my translation. It sticks as close as possible, I think, to the original. It adds minimal words. And I think it fits in directly with what I reckon Paul's just been talking about in the previous section, which we saw two weeks ago in chapel. Here Paul is talking about a particular Jewish vision of ministry. Jews who see themselves as renowned educators, back in verse 17. Now, if you are named a Jew and rest on the law, uh, and Paul keeps speaking about the Jew as a renowned educator, here is a Jew who is famous, named for his ability to educate others from the law. And Paul has been arguing, we saw this a couple of weeks ago, that this vision of Jewish ministry is actually useless when it comes to educating others, especially Gentiles in God's ways, because Jews and Jewish teachers break the law. Verse 27, sometimes notoriously, you who by having the letter and circumcision are a transgressor of the law. This Jew who teaches the law and is bound specifically to the law by circumcision breaks the very law he's bound to keep. And so in the end, all he achieves is that God's name is slandered among the nations, verse 24, and he himself is judged. He is condemned. He is criticised by Gentiles. So here's my translation of verse 28 to 29. For the Jew in public is not the one, nor the circumcision in public, in flesh, but the Jew in secret and circumcision of the heart, in spirit, not letter, whose is the praise. Not from people, but from God. What's Paul saying? He's saying that one kind of Jew and not the other receives praise. And he's saying that there's a right kind of praise and a wrong kind of praise. And this teaches us something very important about ourselves, especially in our ministry. It teaches us where to look for praise. Who's the Jew in public? He's the Jew Paul's just been describing in the previous verses. The Jew in the public sphere, the famed educator, the well-known Jew, the one who is praised for his wisdom and his ability to teach others. The idea of the Jew as the great educator was a well-known common meme in Paul's day. You can read about it in several Jewish writings of the time. They describe an ideal, a paragon of being Jewish. This is what it means. The Jew who has the law and so has a great ministry of educating others and enlightening others from the law. And these Jewish writings are very keen to stress that this Jew in the public sphere, this educator from the law, receives fame and honour and praise. Here are some quotes from Jewish writings that use the same word root for praise that Paul uses here. Here's the wisdom of Ben Sirah, the prologue. It is necessary to praise Israel for education and wisdom. Chapter 39. He who devotes his soul and who studies the law of the Most High, many will praise his understanding. His name will live for generations to come. Peoples will tell of his wisdom and a congregation will proclaim his praise. Chapter 44, let us praise famous men and our Jewish ancestors. Their education came with wise words. There's another Jewish writing called the Letter of Aristeas. 
It tells the story of the translation of the law of Moses into Greek, but at its heart there's something more fundamental. It's a story to show how God's word makes you, a Jew, so wise that you can come before Greeks and be praised before them in public by the sophisticated and the elites of this world. Seventy-two wise Jewish translators are invited by the Greek king to a series of feasts, of symposia, to discuss high matters of politics and philosophy, a highbrow public forum. The Greek king asks each of these 72 Jews questions about how to rule his kingdom. So the king asks one Jew, how can I keep my kingdom intact? And the wise Jew answers, he knows the law. He says, follow God's goodness. Know God, know his goodness and follow his goodness and his mercy. And the king praises him. Bravo, what a wise and excellent Jew you are. And this goes on 72 times over seven days. Each time the Jewish sage answers wisely from God's law and brings biblical theology into the public square and receives applause and praise from the elite, from the opinion shapers, the people who matter, the Greek king, the Greek philosophers, until in the end there's a loud applause and cheers for these wise Jews. What wise scribes you are. It's a story that many Jews told themselves. It's what being a Jew in the public square is like. That's what it looks like. You get invited onto the stage of public opinion. You wisely contextualise God's word and you get praised. But Paul says the public Jew is not the one who is praised. That's what Paul's been saying. It's not reality. The praise and fame from people is just not what happens. Education is not the answer. Sin is real. Every time teachers sin, it just shows up how much God's law doesn't work. That's what we saw a couple of weeks ago. But secondly, and more fundamentally, it's looking for praise in the wrong place. So there's another kind of Jew. He's not the Jew who is at home in the public sphere seeking to change the world through education. He's the Jew in secret, unrecognised. No great name or fame, not taken seriously by the people who matter. I think Andrew Sheed would agree, a bit like Jeremiah. And this Jew is not just circumcised in flesh like his fellow Jews. No, he's also marked with a circumcision that matters. According to the Old Testament, according to Deuteronomy, Jeremiah 9, he's circumcised in heart. He's obedient. He doesn't simply rely on the letter of the law. He has God's spirit, which enables that obedience. In fact, he's a lot like the Apostle Paul, isn't he? Yet this kind of Jew is not praised by people, but he is praised. He's praised by God. And the praise of God is what matters. It matters for Paul's own very Jewish ministry. It matters for our own ministry. There is a very strong temptation to measure your ministry by looking at how much people are praising you. To see the measure of your success, the KPI, as not who is hearing and being challenged by the gospel through my ministry, but rather, do people like me? Do my colleagues and friends respect me? Does my congregation like me? Do people say good things about me? Such a wise person, such a kind person, a wise pastor... She's meeting our needs. We love the things that she says. Do non-Christians like me? Am I praised as a gracious and wise person in the news, in the public sphere, online? How many likes do I get when they post that thing with wise words, praise from people? 
That's the measure of success. You might not be so individualistic about it. You might turn it into something a bit more virtuous. You're not aiming for people to like you. You're aiming for people to like Christianity or the church. Your measure of success is do people like Christians? And that can become your primary aim in ministry, the ministry of being liked. How do you know if you have the ministry of being liked? Well, it's how you react when people don't like you. If you think you're a failure because non-Christians just don't like you. Or maybe if you criticise other ministers simply because they're not good at being liked, then your measure of success is being liked. Now, don't get me wrong, uh, there's, uh, there are reasons to communicate well. We need to communicate well. You don't want to be randomly putting people off just by being unclear or stupid or downright wrong. You don't get any brownie points for simply being an obnoxious human being. That's not good in and of itself. But after all these good reasons have been taken into account, what is your motivation? What is your goal? What is your aim? What is your deepest desire? What do you long for and strive for most of all? Is it positive feedback from people within the church or outside the church or praise from God? Praise from people? Or praise from God. You might say, well, maybe we should just simply ignore everything, disdain all praise, take our deep human longing for affirmation and bury it. Just get on with ministry like robots who don't really care what anyone thinks. Well, that would be ridiculous and harmful. We all need praise and affirmation. But you need to look for that praise in the right place. And first and foremost, you need to look for that praise from your Heavenly Father. Praise from God. How in your ministry do you set your heart on praise from God? Well, you long for God's future. You orient your life and ministry to God's purposes. And you pour out your heart to God in prayer. You long for God's future. Now, Paul in 1 Corinthians, he's responding to the factions of the Corinthians. Some are criticising him, some are actually following him, some are praising him. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. What does Paul do? Does he say, well, those people are criticising me, you're wrong, and those people who are following me, great, keep following me, please like my, my Facebook page, keep, keep following me, that's good. No, no, he doesn't do that. Paul, in his own ministry, looks forward to the future coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians 4, But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his praise from God. So like Paul, you set your heart on praise from God. You look to the future, not to human judgments. Align your life and ministry to God's plans and purposes through his son, Jesus Christ. Care about what God cares about most of all. Devote yourself to it, not primarily what people care about. Know and communicate the gospel of the Lord Jesus, that gospel that does bring salvation and also brings criticism. Truly love people, which isn't always the same as making people feel good or thinking that they're loved. 
sacrificially doing what is best for others, which sometimes means they don't praise you at all. And pour out your heart to God in prayer. Here's Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. When you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Here's a prayer. In secret to God, not just for show to people, not in front of people, praying as God's child to your loving Heavenly Father, seeking reward from him. And your Father, who by his Spirit has raised you up, given us a ministry of the Gospel, salvation that, that you don't deserve, and a ministry that you don't deserve. It's not as if you, you deserve it in that sense of being worthy of it. And yet God rewards and praises what he has made and done in and through you. And that's the praise to seek. It's the praise to long for, to pour your heart out to God for, even especially when no one else is praising you. I know that many of you here have given up human praise in a big way by choosing the path of Christian ministry, by coming to college, and so often it means giving up human praise, doesn't it? Your uh, disappointment to your family. You're a traitor to your ethnic community. You're a laughingstock to your friends or former colleagues because you've stupidly thrown in a stellar career as a sports person or a doctor or a lawyer or a financier or an engineer, whatever it is. I was told recently by a former colleague, I went back to university for a funeral for a star of the solar cell industry and my former colleague knew that I was a minister and theological lecturer and he basically said to me, not quite using these words, but that was what he was saying, what an idiot, what a fool you are. You could have done something useful, you could have done something praiseworthy with your life. But now no one's going to talk about you, no one's going to follow your progress. Is that you? Because there's no Nobel Prize for you. And if that is you, and I know it is many of you, remember these words in Romans 2. And don't try to fill the void of praise by looking for praise from human beings in your ministry. No, look to God for praise. Of course, you must listen to feedback from people. We're all sinful and finite. We need to see where our sin and ignorance is affecting our ministry. We need to reinforce what's good. Feedback matters, especially feedback from wise and godly people, criticism and praise. And we need to be praising each other, don't we? We need to be praising each other in line with God's plans and purposes. But in the end, we all need to keep remembering that human feedback must never become the ultimate measure of our success. And if you crave that praise most of all, you are looking for praise in the wrong place. What do you long for? Do you long to hear people say, oh, that minister's wise, wonderful, kind, Don't long for that praise. Don't set your heart on it. It's fleeting and in the end it destroys your ministry. No, long to hear that praise from God on that day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Well done, good and faithful servant. 